You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. It's, uh, it's right and good for us this morning just to speak a word of thanks to the Lord for Kendall and for the worship team. The Lord has really blessed our church and churches, including Redemption Hill, with a lot of excellence and a lot of care and, and biblical intentionality when it comes to our worship. And, and uh, for Kendall to come and, and lead our worship as we do this kind of joint service online, sort of, it's an unideal, unideal situation. And uh, it's, it's not easy to do that. And so we want to give God thanks for them uh, doing really what is the bulk of the heavy lifting this morning as we are here to worship our King. Let me invite you to turn with me to uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. I've entitled uh, this sermon this morning, Lord Have Mercy in 2022. I thought that is important this year to uh, not jump right back into our, our preaching series through the book of Revelation, but to take this Sunday right after the new year, uh, just to look at the year to come and to set our hearts on a trajectory of focus on the mercy of God and what we anticipate to be His continued mercy toward us in this new year. And so that's what we want to do this morning, looking at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. And then next Sunday, we will return to the book of Revelation chapter 2 as we continue on through much of the coming year. Well, Happy New Year. We have finally reached 2022. This is the year we've all been waiting for. You've probably noticed that on New Year's Eve at 12 a.m. with that night, uh, we entered in 2022 and everything changed. So coronavirus is gone. All of our troubles and worries are gone. The economy's all back in order. Things are going to be great this year because it's a new year. And of course, we don't believe that, do we? But we often kind of talk like that. We, we think about life that way. We think about the changing of the year as though uh, something is going to happen. Well, we know that our troubles uh, have not changed overnight simply because the tr- clock strikes midnight. But we can. We can and we will look forward with hope because of Christ and because of His great mercy. So this morning, we want to consider how we can be happy in Christ in 2022. But we're doing it in an interesting way this morning by looking at the saddest book of the Bible, the book of Lamentations. In fact, even the title of the book tells you of the the deep sorrow and challenge and difficulty that all of us face in life, even those at that time. The book of Lamentations expresses the humiliation, the suffering, even the despair at times of God's people after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And it gathers together the reality that we all know, we all feel, we talk about it from time to time together, the reality of sin and suffering, that every one of us in this life as believers are simultaneously sinners and sufferers. They in this book are lamenting over their situation uh, in many of the same ways that we have been lamenting over ours. But in chapter three of the book of Lamentations, there is an immense word of hope given, one that I think that we that I know I desperately need in these times and every day 
And that's what we want to consider this morning. Three truths about the Lord's mercy that we anticipate in 2022. Why is it that we as believers in the world can be happy in Christ in 2022, especially if it is another year like the last two that we have faced? Well, here's the first truth that we need to keep in mind as we look at these two verses of Scripture. Number one, the Lord's mercy does not fail. I want these not just to be sermon points, not just something that we might write down in a journal or you know, scribble into the margin of our Bible, but that we would see this as a truth for us, that you would see this as a truth for you, that it would come down from the clouds of truth and it would come down to the level of our hearts, our minds, our daily life, what we might call street-level theology. Sometimes our theology stays up in the clouds. It's up there, we see it, we think about it, but it's very ethereal. It's kind of foggy. It's hard to get a hold of. What do we need? We need this to be. We need this to be street-level theology. And so we begin here with this truth. The Lord's mercy does not fail. Listen to these two verses this morning. The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I want you to look this morning at this godly example of hoping and focusing on mercy when facing disappointing realities in this life, because of sin and because of suffering. That's what's happening in this book of the Bible. Uh, We believe most likely written by Jeremiah the prophet. Here in chapter three, he is hoping and focusing on mercy. And he's doing it in the midst of an incredibly difficult time. He says, I recall this to mind in verse 21. Listen to a couple of verses uh, that come just before our text this morning. Remember my misery and my homelessness, the wormwood and bitterness, he says. My soul certainly remembers and is bent over within me. I recall this to my mind, therefore I wait. Now, when I read those verses and I stop right at the end of verse 21, I have a question coming to my mind, and that is, what exactly is he recalling? Is he recalling the wormwood and the bitterness when he says, I recall this to my mind, therefore I wait? Is that the reason that he waits? Because he's he's recalling to his mind the difficulty of the moment, the suffering of the situation? I think that he is. But is that all that he's recalling? Well, we see in the very next verses, our verses for this morning in 22 and 23, that's not all that he is recalling. And in fact, I don't even think that that's the most important thing that he is recalling I think rather it is the Lord's mercy. He is recalling, and it's an example for all of us in daily life to recall two things all the time, our sin and suffering and the mercy of God. If we were to put either of those things away, we would be lacking some important ingredients of the joyful, happy Christian life, the kind of life that causes us to hope and look to Christ with hope and to be courageous for him, and to be dependent upon him, and to repent before him, and to ask him for everything that we need, and to enjoy his good gifts, we would be missing out if we lose either of those two. 
So like Jeremiah, we need to keep both of those in our minds in this moment and in the days to come, both our great need for his mercy and the reality that we have it. It is because I believe it is because of these two that he waits on the Lord. It's because of those two things working together, his great need and God's great provision of mercy. He is waiting. He is focusing. He is, hear those words again, recalling this to mind, recalling to mind the mercy of God. It is what sustains him. It's what should sustain us as Christians as we think about his mercy. Let me ask you this. How often in your daily life, I ask myself this, do you really think about his mercy? How often do you really recall to mind his mercy? There's so many things going on in life. There's so many troubles. You're at work or you're, you're caring for kids or you're, 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 you're facing some other kind of trouble or conflict. And for me, often my focus, my recalling of his mercy is low on my list. It's sort of out the window. I don't know where it goes. Somewhere, somewhere back into the clouds. My street-level theology floats up and away from me, and I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss for courage. I'm at a loss for comfort until, until I recall to mind again his great mercy. It's focusing on this mercy, his hand of mercy on your life and mine, on our churches that will drive us forward, that will comfort us in the most difficult of times. You may have heard the name before, Viktor Frankl. He was an Austrian neurologist, psychologist, author, and probably most notably a Holocaust survivor. And throughout his life and work, he, he studied the pursuit of happiness, even, even as a Holocaust survivor. It gave him a context to, to think about what is it that gets people through serious moments like that. Even unbelievers, there is something that even those who do not know Christ or hope in him, that they are doing to get through or cope with the most difficult situations. For Viktor Frankl, one of the things that he did which I think is a, a beautiful shadowing of the far greater reality of what we can do in the midst of our difficult situations is that when he was in the Holocaust, when he was suffering, he kept his mind, even his imagination, fixed on the hand of his wife. He would continually replay in his mind him holding her hand, their fingers interlocking, what that would feel like. He... he he was consumed with that. He focused all that he had upon every detail of that potential future reality looking forward. He was imagining this. Listen to what he said. He said, but my mind clung to my wife's image, imagining it with an uncanny acuteness. I heard her answering me, saw her smile, her frank and encouraging look, real or not. Her look was then more luminous than the sun which was beginning to rise. Well, I think here is, is, is not a trick or a tool for, for our lives as Christians, but rather a pointer to something far greater, far deeper, far more important. And that is not simply fixing our imagination on a potential holding of hands with another human being, but that we would fix our minds on the very hand of God and his mercy toward us. 
that we would fix our hearts and our eyes on His mercy in difficult times, no matter what 2020 has in store for us. And so far, it's not going great, but we can focus. We can focus on the mercy of God because we know that His mercies never fail. The key to Christian comfort and courage is this. It's an unrelenting waiting on his unrelenting mercy. Probably should say that again. The key to Christian comfort and courage is an unrelenting waiting on our part on the unrelenting mercy of his part. What is this mercy? When he says the Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. The word that he's using there for mercy is actually the word for loving kindness. It can be translated a number of different ways. It is the word chesed in Hebrew. It's a word that typically it tries to capture the idea of completely undeserved kindness and generosity. That is the mercy of God. It's, it's very much like the grace of God. Grace and mercy in Scripture, they go hand in hand as though they're, they're sort of two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of the same hand, both of God's hands caring for us with mercy and grace. One theologian said this about Hesed, it is wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God, love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty, in short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. Now, if you could keep all of that together, essentially what we're saying and seeing here from this text is that the Lord's acts of mercy are not merely things that he feels compelled to do for you. It's not as though he looks at himself and he says, well, you know, I have a merciful nature and character and you're having a hard time, so I think I should probably do a few works for you. He's not throwing you a bone out of obligation, but rather, what is he doing? His chesed, his loving kindness, his mercy does not end because he is unwilling for it to end. It is his gladness. It is his rejoicing. It is his happiness that his mercies toward his people never end. He does not show us mercy out of duty. He shows us mercy out of delight. And that's why they never end. If he were to show us mercy out of duty, it would be because of something that we had done. It would be that we roped him in to showing us mercy, either with our flowery words, our our beautiful deeds, or some other kind kind of work or law that we would keep for him. But we know that if that was the way he related to us, What would happen to his mercy? Truly, what would happen to his mercy toward you? If it was about you, it most certainly would fail. It most certainly would run out. If it was something that you had to earn, that you had to rope him into, it would always end and fail. But rather, because it is an expression of divine grace, of delight, his mercy does not end. For his compassions, this is a word that talks about the the bowels of a person, the very gut of a person, the place of your affections and your, your feelings. His compassions do not fail. Do you hear the two things? Be a good student of the Bible. Pay attention to the words. Verse 22, acts of mercy and compassions. Those are two different things. 
There are acts that are working out and there are compassions that are felt. That's what mercy does. It brings together feeling and actions. The compassions that do not fail is the brotherly feeling, the brotherly loyalty that God feels for you. In Christ, God feels loyalty to you. Not because of what you and I do, of course, but because of what he has done, because of who he is. He is loyal to us. Think about that. The God of the universe has a brotherly, fatherly feeling toward you. He thinks about you. He rejoices about you. He plans for you. He's orchestrating everything in your life for you. And it is because his compassions, they do not fail. They are inexhaustible in breadth. Notice that in verse 22, they do not end. They are invincible in power. They do not fail. So what are we to do? We ought to wait on mercy. Wait. Did you notice how he says that? I recall this to mind, verse 21, therefore I wait. This is what Christians do when they're thinking rightly. They wait. And they wait on a particular person for a particular thing. And they're waiting on his mercy, on his loving kindness, on his compassions which never fail and never end. Two ways we could think about this waiting in our daily lives. Number one, you can think of it as waiting on something to come because most certainly, because it doesn't end, it keeps on coming. And therefore, there's a kind of place in the Christian life where we're waiting for something that's continually coming. It's continually coming. It arrives and you wait. It arrives and you wait. It's, it's an endless stream of mercy. But there's another kind of waiting, and it's a kind of resting in it as something that is already here. That kind of captures what we're doing when we're waiting on mercy. We're constantly receiving, and we're resting in the moment. I wonder if you could keep those two things in your mind. If you need to write them down, write them down. Keep those two things in your mind as you move on into this new year as people who need mercy, people who need to wait on mercy, even in these two kinds of waiting. But then, listen to this. He says something interesting next. He says in verse 23... They are new every morning. That's the second truth about his mercy for 2022. Number one, the Lord's mercy does not fail. Number two, the Lord's mercy is new every morning. What does it mean that they are new? I spent a lot of time wrestling through this in my mind, trying to understand what does that mean? Because when I think about something being new, I don't think it's the kind of way that you would think about this attribute or action or compassion of God that it is new. Because when I think of things that are new, I only think of it because they just got old and now they have become new again, like milk left out on the counter overnight. It's gotten old. It needs to be made new again. It needs to be replaced with something new. We have worn it out. Did his mercies spoil do his mercies wear out with use like, like our clothes or our bodies or other materials in this fallen world? Is that what he's saying? Well, you really wore down the mercies of God. It's a good thing they're new every morning. Is that what's happening? Does it get all the way down to 10%, 8%, 6%, 1%? 
Then the clock chimes 12, and all of a sudden, bloop, it goes back up to 100. Is that what it means that his mercies are new every morning? I don't think so. I don't think that they are renewed like a library book or like an old car. I think instead, they are just like always, every morning, fresh and faithful. I don't think that they wear out. I don't think that they go bad. I don't think that they spoil. I don't think that you wear him down. But rather, it tells us something about his incredible love for us, that his love is always new. You know, we feel, we sort of alluded to this earlier, we, we feel something kind of new, right? It's a weird thing on New Year's Eve, don't we? It's like a, it's like a reverse Cinderella. It's like when the, when the clock chimes 12, instead of turning into a pumpkin, we think, oh, we're going to turn into a princess or a prince. Everything's going to be great. As soon as the clock strikes 12, that's sort of that feeling is sort of what, what drives us to think about the next year and to make resolutions It's sort of because I kind of think that there's something magical coming at midnight. Now, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I bear the bad news to myself. There's not. There's no magic. Nothing happened when the ball dropped. And everybody, well, I don't know what people did. I was not up for it. They didn't kiss each other. Sure, hopefully not. We're not all kissing each other. Not now. But it is though we think that there is something coming, something's changing. What has changed? What changed? What changed? Well, I want to say nothing, but I know better than that. It's not that nothing changed. It's that you changed. That's what makes the difference on New Year's Eve. That's why you pick up resolutions. It's not because something in life changes. This whole New Year's Eve thing, it's made up. It's an arbitrary date. It's just us as creatures keeping track of time imperfectly and just picking one of the days to say, that's the day that we start doing new stuff. But in reality, what really has changed? What has changed is your perspective, your anticipation. Something about that changing of that cycle has prompted you to think differently about the next day. And so what are you thinking? You're thinking, oh, New Year's Eve. On January 1st, good things will start happening again. On January 1st, it's almost like I think God is going to deliver me with more mercy. And that's going to get the year going. But you see, the Word of God does not say His mercies are new every year. It says his mercies are new every morning. And we've already seen that what that really means is that they're always new. They're not just new every morning. That whole structure is given to to address our need for comfort because we feel at the end of the day as creatures tired, worn out. I need encouragement that something's going to change in the morning. And the Lord says, just remember Lay down and sleep. I'm not going to sleep. I don't sleep or slumber. You can lay down and sleep. You get good rest. And in the morning, you can be sure that my mercy is new. What does he really mean? He could say that at any time in the day, I believe. He could say to you, just remember, at noon, 
My mercies are new. At 2.53, my mercies are new because his mercies are always new. So why do we make resolutions on New Year's Eve? Is there something really different? Not other than our tax status. Nothing else changes. You enter a new tax year. No, but here's what's changed. We set our hearts on a different trajectory. Now, it's not one that we really usually keep, in fact, as a side note, I would encourage us, if you're taking, making resolutions, as I try to do, and take an account of your life, don't do it for a year. Just do it for 12 weeks. 12-week resolution, that's better for creatures like us. I'm never going to make it a year. I barely make it 12 weeks. But when we make these resolutions, it's because we have set our minds on something else, on a different trajectory. And as Christians, we are called every day to reset our minds, reset that trajectory You've probably heard of Jonathan Edwards. We talk about him a lot in a lot of churches. He's getting a lot of press today because a lot of pastors talk about his resolutions, and rightly so. They're incredible. If you don't know who Jonathan Edwards is, uh, Wikipedia, and then click the link for his 70 resolutions and go read them. They are rich. They are encouraging. They're a little heavy, but they are rich. He's famous for making 70 resolutions, but do you know what he did with those resolutions? He did not write them on New Year's Eve. He wrote them over the course of a year. He kept picking up resolutions. There's something wise about that. There's something good about that. Because instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to resolve on this day when the clock strikes 12, new me. He was new me every day. And he was picking up new resolutions as he kept his trajectory. He kept his mind fixed on the mercy of God day in and day out. And it's what carried him through the year. He did not intend, in this great example to us, to keep his resolutions one year at a time. In fact, actually what he did was he thought about them daily and more specifically even Weekly. In fact, the first resolution, it's not even listed as one, but at the head of his whole list that he made of his resolutions, the first instruction to himself, which is not one of the 70, is that every week I'll read the 70 resolutions and I will think about them and I'll think about how I can trust God more, how I can lean into his mercy more, how I can keep these resolutions to his glory. In fact, his first resolution was not only to read it every week, but you can be sure that he was thinking about it every day. Because the kind of resolutions that he made were not the kind of resolutions that he would work toward, but rather the kinds of resolutions that he would focus on repeatedly. 22 is perhaps one of my favorites. I think it's a great one as we think about God's mercy and we look forward to this new year. Listen to 22. He said, resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, vehemence, yes, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. This was the ultimate purpose of his life was to glorify God and to find all of his happiness in him. Central resolution of his life. Lamentations 3.23 calls us I think, to a better way of daily looking to God for his glad mercies. This is where we find the common practice of morning focus and devotion. 
This is what you see come up in a, a number of the figures throughout church history or biblical history that you see that we aspire to. We look at their example. We know that they're imperfect. Jonathan Edwards, wildly imperfect. George Mueller, another one. He was a Christian evangelist and orphanage director. Listen to what he said. The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. How do you do that? You do that by practicing Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, by waiting, by waiting on the mercy of God. It is all about the mercy of God. So as we apply this to our lives, this truth that the Lord's mercy is new every morning, I want to encourage you to follow that same example of George Mueller. This year, if you're looking for a resolution, pick this one, that every morning you would make tending to the happiness of your soul in Christ because of his mercies the most important thing you could do. This is where we get that idea of waking up in the morning and having this devotional time. Let me encourage you, if you're not in the habit of doing that, to get in the habit of doing that. And if it's not in the morning, it's sometime during the day. Everybody's schedule is a little different, and that's okay. But find some time during the day that you can be alone with God and that you can focus and wait on the new mercies every morning. Well, the reason that we can do this is because His faithfulness is great. That's our last truth this morning. As we think about the Lord having mercy toward us in 2022, we know that his mercies do not fail. The Lord's mercy is new every morning. And then hear this last. You can do all of these things that we're talking about because his faithfulness is great. The Lord's faithfulness toward us is great. I want you to see last this key truth that unlocks it all. This is the key truth to unlock everything about his mercy in your life, about his good gifts toward you, about his grace, about his compassions that, that do not fail. And it's this truth. His mercy is not a thing. God's mercy is not a thing that he gives to you. It's not a commodity. It's not a gift like that. It's not, it's not a gift or it's not that, that you would just enjoy or rest in of itself. It's not separate from him. The gift of God's mercies is not like your gifts to me or my gifts to you. Our gifts, because we're creatures, they're separate from us. What do you do when you get somebody a gift? You go to the store, you get them the gift or toy for the birthday party coming up, you put it in the car, you drive home, you forget it in the car. You go out the next day and you go get it from the car. You wrap it. You take it to the party. You put it on the table. You leave. They open it. That's not the way God's mercy works as a gift. It's not separate from him. Because giving of his mercy is his giving of himself. That's what his mercy is. It is himself that's why Jeremiah talks about it as his compassions. It is him working in your life. Listen to James 1.17. says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Notice what James does when he talks about these gifts. He connects it to the very nature and character of God. 
He gives good gifts because he is the father of lights and he never changes. He's talking about the stars in the sky. If you look at them, they seem as though they're the most, the most static stationary thing in the universe. They don't move. He's like that. He's the father of lights. He's unchanging. But when he gives you good gifts, he gives them out of himself. This truth, though it's it's, it's pretty often kind of lost on me because I, I, I think about God's gifts a lot like commodities. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to repent of that. I'm trying to, to ask God to help me with that. But thankfully, there are lots of other Christians who are far more mature than I am, and they have displayed this. Even listen to this. This verse, of course, comes from, oh, it doesn't come from, this verse inspired the hymn by the same title, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Thomas Chisholm was the person who wrote that hymn. And in fact, his purpose in writing all of the hymns and poetry that he wrote was to try to pack as much scripture into the hymns as he possibly could. That's why if you stop for a minute, open Lamentations, read it, and then sing the song, you see what he's doing. He's just trying to unpack for us what the scriptures say in a way that we can remember and be comforted in. Listen to these words. Notice the way even he connects the very gifts of God's mercy to the nature of God himself. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And then at the end of the hymn, hear this, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. There it is. Do you see? It's the connection between his peace, his pardon, his mercy. They're not separate from him. They are him. They are his very presence. When God is showing me mercy, when he's showing you mercy, he's not across the street. He is the mercy. It is his presence that cheers and guides. Strength for today and hope for tomorrow. We need that. Blessings all mine. And then 10,000 beside. It's overflowing grace and mercy that are right here with us because of his own dear presence. What that does is it makes the gift of mercy more like the gift of marriage than the gift of a party present. It's more the gift of marriage. When we think of the Christian life as marriage, we do so because we are united to Christ. Did you know that that's what happened when you became a Christian? When you became a Christian, you got married it may sound strange, but you did. You married Jesus Christ. You became his bride. He came for you and he united with you. That's the gift of mercy. It's not a thing that he gives you and walks away. It's himself that he gives to you and then keeps you close. What does that mean? That means that for every Christian in 2022, no matter what variance we get, no matter what other troubles happen, no matter how many wildfires occur, and it's tragic, tragic, be praying, we can know this. He is the great and faithful spouse. Why are we hearing that his faithfulness is great? Because our faithfulness is not. That's how you know it's great. It's on the backdrop of your faithfulness to him, which is very small, if anything. But rather, 
He is the great and faithful spouse. His mercy is set off against the darkness of our incredible need as sinners and sufferers. That's what makes his grace amazing. And that's why we wait on it. Finally, here at the end, this last application of the text to our lives, I want to offer you this. As you're making resolutions or plans or maybe even better directions and habits, let me encourage you with one main direction and three ways to go about it. You might write these down. I'm writing them down for myself. We'll work at this together. In response to the Lord's great faithfulness, as we've heard this morning, as people who are praying and wanting and hoping and pursuing the Lord as merciful in 2022, preach every reminder of his mercy to yourself. We often talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves, and that's essentially what we're talking about. But in that, in particular, preach every reminder of his mercy to you. Count them. Number one, count up his good gifts. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken your journal and counted up all of the good gifts? Just like Thomas Chisholm said, you'll never count them. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside all that and more. But it would be to our good if we would count them. Count up his good gifts toward you. Number two, reflect on his immense and happy patience toward you. How patient is God being with you every day that his mercies are not worn down and they're renewed. They're always new toward you. He is being patient and doing it happily. And then number three, I want to, and I hope that you will, dive this year into the many commands to be glad in him. Do you know what the greatest commandment in all of scripture is the most, most frequent commandment is? It is to be happy in Christ. That's the greatest commandment in the Bible. The most frequent commandment is that we would be happy in Christ because that's what glorifies him. We wait on him as our ultimate happiness, our joy, our gladness, even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of suffering, in fact, because of them. And therefore, we ought to dive into these commands. Now, I'm usually pretty inconsistent with my, <clears throat> my like yearly Bible reading. So I uh, try and take it 12 weeks at a time. But as I'm going this, time, this, uh, this year through, you, you might do something similar. I'm trying to circle every time something about gladness is mentioned, rejoicing, happiness, blessing, gladness. I'm circling them and I'm tallying them at the end of each chapter. If you would do something like that, it'll help to dive into those, those realities, those truths. It's a great way for us to move forward. We are looking forward <clears throat> to this year as a church, no matter what may come. Why? Because the Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end. His compassions do not fail. Compassions of the world, they fail. They have failed a thousand times. The compassions of people within churches for one another has failed. But his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So we ask him, God, in 2022, make us more like you. Conform us to the image of your son. Make us rich in our own acts of mercy toward other people. Make us rich in our compassions, that our compassions would be like yours, that they would not fail. That our mercies would be new every morning because your mercy toward us is new every morning. And that our 
faithfulness would somehow be great like his. Of course, that all begins by coming to Christ. If you're here, you're on the live stream, or you see this somewhere else, and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you that today would be the day of your salvation, that you would be saved by faith in Christ, and that you would come to know this rich mercy that he gives to us that's new every morning. As we come to a close this morning, though, I want to share with you just one more word of encouragement. It's a brief paragraph also from George Mueller, uh, that person that I mentioned earlier. George Mueller, the Christian evangelist and orphanage director who was, who was probably most known for, for never telling anyone about any of the needs of the orphanage, but that he would only pray and God would answer his prayers. Listen to what he says as this is a final kind of conclusion and charge for us as a church and churches into this new year. Listen to this. He said, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I especially condemn, uh, commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. Having an experimental acquaintance. That means a practical working understanding and fellowship with God himself. This is what we want our 2022 to be about. And we're praying that God would continue as we know that he will because of what he said to us this morning. Keep his mercies new. We give him thanks this morning. Please stand with me as we pray. Our Father at the end of this time, transitioning again to open our hearts and song to you, we, we want to just acknowledge again your enormous, astounding mercy. We look in the mirror of our sin and our suffering, and we wonder why you would be merciful to us. Certainly, it is not because of anything in us. It's not because of anything that we have done. We could not earn your salvation. We couldn't win it. We couldn't make it happen. We couldn't will it. We couldn't word it but rather you have brought us forth by the word of your power. You've caused us to be born again, and you have caused us to be born again into a covenant of mercy and grace. And so, God, we pray that you'd help us to live there. Help us to focus our hearts this year upon your mercy, that we would wait on it, remind us of our sin and our suffering, as bitter as it may be, and the great comfort of your gospel, which delivers to us not just mercy as a gift, but mercy as a person, delivering to us yourself. Oh God, as we sing now, we pray you are pleased and exalted. Please fill us with happiness and gladness today and the days moving forward, no matter what may come, knowing that it is all in your hand for your glory, for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.